0: In one, two, three, four, five. Oh, wait, that's supposed to go five, four, three, two, one.
1: (laughs) Or if you're talking to Quincy, it's five, six, seven, eight.
0: That's true. If if I was a (laughs) dance extraordinaire like she is. Um, Welcome back to the Light the Fight podcast. I am, I guess you said I'm the only host and you're the experiment. Is that what we're going with?
1: Yes, I sit on the couch, use it in the captain's chair.
0: Okay. (laughs) Well, at least now because we're doing it in my office. Um, I'm your host, David Kozlowski. And my correspondent, Heidi Swap. That's right. She goes out to the field and she has life experiences. And she comes back and we talk about them.
1: Which is really basically like what really happens in with a therapist, if you've never gone to a therapist. Uh, it's not scary. Well, it shouldn't be scary. If it's well, it scary, depends on who your therapist is. There, there might <laughs> be some be. <laughs> scary ones out there.
0: I don't know. So.
1: Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of hesitation that people have about therapists. Um, but this is, a, this is a plug, I guess for, um, man, it is one of the, the greatest gifts is to talk to somebody that can give you insight on how you feel because we're really going at this alone, you know? And so that's why, um, I'm so grateful for, for David being willing to do this podcast and share his knowledge because therapy i think we think that it's like okay if you're broken you got to go to a therapist but really it's learning a therapist is really a teacher that just has a really close look and um so anyway it therapy's great in case you get the chance
0: (laughs) (laughs) it look though you know you got to find some of the you know if you are going to try it out you know no one wants to keep on trying, like, shopping around for therapists because that could get old and expensive. Right. And it's kind of hard to keep on saying your story to other people. But if you can find the a right person you connect with and you vibe with, then, yeah, it can be a great experience. I actually remember the first time that uh, I went to therapy. And um, to me... You it mean was,
1: before you were a therapist? Like, oh, yeah. You went to therapy? I went, I to, went therapy? to plenty
0: of therapy. Are you kidding me? Oh. That couch you're sitting on? Man, I... I I spent a lot of, I purchased a lot of rent space on therapy couches throughout the years. Um, yeah. And also too, when you're going to graduate school to become a therapist, they make you go to therapy. So you're less likely to ruin people's lives. Um, so they're trying to decrease the probability that you're not going to dump all your crap on them. Gotcha. Which is tough not to do sometimes, especially when, you know, most therapists have the empathetic, you know, they're really they're like, uh so sometimes it's hard not to transfer all your like sure. life experiences onto them. So they make sure you sift through enough of that. I think they should require more therapy. It was only 40 hours when I went. Um, but getting back to that when – well, I'll talk about when I was going to therapy because I had to go to therapy – it was perfect timing because I really needed to go to therapy. So my graduate school requirements said I had to. So I used that as my excuse for my ego. Oh, you know, I got to go to therapy. I'm just checking a box. I don't really Yeah. <laughs> um, But I remember going there and being very broke and not having a lot of money going through graduate school. And I remember I paid $75 each session and I didn't mind.
1: Wait, you had to pay for your therapy to go through even yeah. when you were in your graduate program? Yeah, well, like therapists don't counsel? do it for
0: free. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was up in the <laughs> Bay Area, so it was like premier prices, right? <laughs> up in San Francisco Bay Area. It's like, that was like a, d- he gave me a deal at 75. It was like a hundred something. And, uh, cause I was a student, he gave me the student deal. So I remember every time I paid the 75 bucks, I never, I got so much out of it. I was never like, oh, here's 75 bucks. I was like, I've blown $75 on illegal substances that only lasts for 20, 30 minutes, two hours. <laughs> and this like made me feel good all week long. So the way I looked at it, it was like, this was worth it for me. Because how many times throughout a week do you just get to talk? And it's all about figuring out how to better yourself. I, I, I remember thinking, man, because someone I remember told me one time, one of my clients, they said, it was kind of weird. He said, at first it was weird because I went to therapy. And this was before they met me. Just, it's a weird thing. Like I pay you to listen to me. And then as we started working, she was like, but you know what, it's actually worth it because I think about it. I can't get my husband, my kids, anyone else to listen to me? <laughs> All I got to do is pay seventy five hundred dollars to have someone listen me for it. That's worth it the price is. of admission so that, just right there. That's what I And say, I remember yeah. I could relate to her. I'm like, you know, I thought the same way. That was the best 75 bucks I spent. I'm buying burgers, crap I don't need, you know. But like that would at least, it gave me a return on that investment. So glad you feel the same way, Heidi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's get talk about something that um, you brought up and you said, hey, let's talk about this day because it was one of the very first things that um, we discussed when, when we would first met. And so why don't you kind of just set it up like what exactly it is and then, you know, we'll elaborate from there.
1: OK, so I was remembering back on my very first. The very first time we met Dave, David, and, and of course, you know, I'd already like sent him those long texts telling him all my problems Um telling him all about Corey, and Corey was not stoked to be coming in to visit with David. and I just remember the look on his face and just the whole emotion in the car driving. It was the worst. and I had no idea what to expect and um yeah oh gosh poor poor kid I sh- it was it was rough, and there's probably not a teenager out there. It's like, yeah. I'd love to go talk to a counselor. That'd be great. You know, probably not. One out of
0: every 20 my experiences that actually wants to come in.
1: (laughs) We walk in and David is wearing um, Vans and stamp socks and like, you know, like a surfer type um, shirt. And Corey's demeanor completely changes. Because if somebody's wearing Vans, Corey's like, all right, you're cool.
0: (laughs) Well, at least I'll give him a chance.
1: (laughs) Right? Yeah, that's right. Anyway, um, that that helped. Anyway, I can remember um, we sat down for a minute together. David asked us to leave, spend some time with Corey, had us come back. In that very first session, the thing that I remember, I only remember one thing that he said, and he said, the kryptonite to depression is connection. Now, if you know Dave, he likes to make rhyming things. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I didn't know that yet, but I was like, okay, kryptonite, Superman, okay. You know, I'm trying to like remember, is the kryptonite good? Was the kryptonite bad? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and I, I don't know that I really knew what that meant. I did know that Corey was struggling with depression. I also knew that I don't have depression. And so it's, it was really something that I could not understand. I, I don't, I don't feel it. I don't get it. And, and I'm trying to understand it. And, and I really appreciate people who help me understand, share with me their experiences because a person who doesn't have depression has zero idea what that feels like
0: and struggles having empathy
1: right well and you you don't you Just don't can't. even know you yeah. don't even understand it at all so it's been a very important part of my journey and i actually think that everybody needs to understand or learn what depression feels like and why it's such a debilitating situation and that's probably for another podcast for us to talk about but um, but I knew that Corey was struggling I knew I did not have the answers um, and David seemed to very clearly know something that was gonna help Corey's depression and so I was thrilled um, you know, you talk about paying somebody. I was, like, whipping out my credit card so fast every time. <laughs> I, I was like, you know, let's put another quarter in the jukebox. <laughs> like, I um, I could tell that he was, knew it was going to help my son. And so um, why don't you describe what that means to you? I know that you talk about this a lot. And, um, and maybe those of you who are listening have heard, you know, know something about this but let's let's hear kind of what your philosophy is
0: well um, so dating back way back to like 98 99 when I first got my first official job uh, working with teenagers um, I came up with this like throughout the years what I'm saying is I came up with this philosophy that just kept on showing up every time I was working with teens and their families and stuff like that and and This is what I told your son, and i am just kind of give you a little background on it. So when I first started out, I started working with boys' group homes. And if you're not familiar with a boys' group home is, it's a place where boys are put by their parents or taken from their homes, and they have to live in these residential facilities. Um, Most of the time, the kids have some sort of behavioral mental health. They have some sort of issues. The family can have issues, and they're just living there. Sometimes it's court-ordered, sometimes just voluntarily from the parents. Point is, it's it's a place that's really really rough environment, um, and it's extreme, right? A lot of extreme, difficult challenges that these kids are going through. And I also worked at a psychiatric hospital. I was doing both those jobs, working you know, you know, shifts at both those places. And I found out really quickly that when you walk in those places, the kids size you up. They look at you and then, who's this punk? And they, you get no respect, nobody likes you. Well, I take it back. There are always a couple kids like, hey, you're new staff, and they just want, there's those kids that just want to like everybody, but then you get the kids that are the gatekeepers, and you got no street credit with them. If you try to be their friend, they'll take advantage of you. If you try to be authoritarian and be a hard A and like control them, then they'll make your life hell because they'll be disrespectful, and they don't want you to be coming them too hard, but then again, you can't be too soft. Um, they really test you to see where you're at with yourself. Fortunately for me, I went through a suicide attempt, went through struggles back off and on with uh, lots of personal stuff and gone through a lot of counseling. And I was in a good place when I started that. I laughed when, when they challenged me and I just, I didn't take things personal. that They threw at me. And every day I just was the exact same person I was the day before. I wasn't trying to be their friend and I wasn't trying to be the boss I was just me every single day. And over time, I started to notice that kids started to just do little things to show that they liked me, show that they felt comfortable around me. And I just started to realize they just felt like I was me and they didn't, weren't scared of me because they didn't know. Imagine these, these kids, every 10 hours, they have a different staff member come on shift. They have different parents every eight to 10 hours. You're their parents (laughs) in that home when it's your shift. And then someone else comes on shit. It's hard enough getting get along with your parents, let alone a different personality every eight hours.
1: That has a different maybe agenda.
0: Oh, exactly. And yeah. different, you know, counseling skills. And so the psych hospital, this, then I started working at a drug and alcohol treatment center. Then I started working with these other schools. And every one of these scenarios, I just started to realize that it didn't matter what my job title was. It didn't matter if I was black, white, Asian, Polynesian, what my name was, how I dressed like. Only one thing that mattered was I being the person I was acting like the person that was showing up at work with them? Did they believe I was that person when I wasn't at work versus was I being different to try to be a counselor or to, to try to get them to trust me. And over time, people just believed I was actually me when I was at work. Cause I'd hear kids say it all the time. You only are pretending you care. You're only here cause you, cause you get paid. You don't You don't care about me. And I couldn't sit there and convince a teenager that I cared. I couldn't convince them that I wanted to be there. I could have, they didn't, they didn't care that I didn't get paid a lot of money. They didn't realize that I used to make more money and I took less money just to work there, but they didn't want to care about that. All they wanted me is to shut up and do what I say I was going to do. So I would do that. I'd look at them and say, you know what? You're right. I could be just like that guy that you're saying I am. I don't care. and I'm here for a job. Or... I could be the one person where you're wrong. I could be the one person who's legit. So I tell you what, let's see what happens. And I just walk away. And every day, I just keep that in mind, and I'll just be the same dude every single day. Come to find out, this is how this created my philosophy as a counselor. By the way, the best experience I ever had was not being a counselor as a therapist. The best experience I ever had, crisis specialists behavioral specialist, when it was my job to physically stop people from harming themselves and others. And I realized that trying to restrain people when they're losing their mental and physical and emotional faculties was the worst part of the job. So I had to figure out a different way to help them without having to restrain them or hurt them. And it became very clear to me, if people like you and they trust you and they feel safe around you, you can say things to them that other people can't say. Think about your closest friend. Your closest friend could be super offended if someone said something to them. You could say the same thing, smack them on the back, and they go, just shut up, and they just laugh at it because you said it. Likewise, certain people, you can be like, hey, you don't know me good enough to joke with me like that, right? Right? So I just realized over time by building just one-on-one relationships, every chance I had being the same person, Eventually, even if kids didn't like me, my name, my hair color, whatever, they trusted that I wasn't trying to change them. I was just there for them. So it started to work out to my advantage where I didn't have to restrain kids to keep them safe. I could pacify their emotions with just the calmness of my voice, just the relationship, looking someone in the eye and instead of saying, why do you want to kill yourself? I'd say, I want to give you a hug. Well, they'd have to put down the knife to hug me. So they had to make a decision right there. It was the relationship I built with them day in and day out that caused them to put down the knife. I'm thinking about one particular kid in, in, in a specific instance. And he put down the knife and gave me a hug and then got angry at me because I was robbing him of his anger and his self-loathing because he was feeling connection. So my philosophy throughout the years, I realized, I'm like, man, I got this talent, this skill set of getting kids to trust in me simply because I was being consistent and they didn't have to worry about me. They didn't trust that their parents were consistent. They didn't trust that other staff members were consistent. They were questioning. They had a GPS satellite up in the up in the atmosphere looking for hypocrisy. <laughs> and if they identified you as a hypocrite, anything that you said, dismiss. They wouldn't even listen to it. Right. So I had to walk a fine line and not be a hypocrite. If I said I was going to do something, even if I didn't want to do it, I had to do it. And if they said they're going to do something, they didn't do it. I'd say, Hey, it's all good. Don't worry. And I'd just do it for them. Usually it was chores. I'd do their chores for them instead of getting them in trouble or instead of doing certain things to make them feel, why didn't you do chores? If you don't do your chore, I'm going to do it. And they go, great. You can do my chore. Great. I do it every single day. Oddly enough, it was cool the first time I did their chores. But then after that, every day when I'm doing their chores, it made them feel really uncomfortable that a staff that they actually liked and wasn't mad at was doing their chore because they were having a temper tantrum with something that had nothing to do with me. So then eventually they'd apologize to me and they'd start doing their own chore. Hmm. What I realized is that people will do things for connections and to maintain good relationships because they vary. they have very few of those great relationships and you don't want to mess up a good relationship. Right. Even teenagers get that. So my philosophy became very simple when I started private practice and this is what your son heard from me. Life's all about one thing and one thing only, relationships. In fact, I saw in the most horrible situations, when I say there's probably other horrible situations like sex trafficking and stuff like that, but horrible situations that we can in you know experience in our day-to-day life, suicide, death, you know, psychosis and stuff like that. And these horrible situations. They're not as horrible if you have a couple people or multiple people that have your back and understand you. You're able to get through the death of a child if you have support. If you have to explain what you need to everybody when you're struggling, it's not going to work. If people just pick up the pieces and get you and understand you because the relationship is fortified in trust and understanding, it's almost like they can read your mind, you can read their mind, and you just know how to be there for one another. Well, I realize that, our life revolves around our relationships. I'd never met a parent that wasn't thinking, what can I do to make my kids' life experience better? How can I help them be successful? And so on and so forth. Well, that's a relationship. Well, Then I Googled the word one day. Actually, this was pre-Google. Shows you how <laughs> long I've been at this, right? And I look at the word relationship, and it, the definition of the word actually changed my perspective and opened up my mind. And the, the definition I saw, I saw a couple different ones, but they all basically said the same thing. It said a relationship is simply a connection between two or more people, places, objects, or things. A, relation, it, a relationship is the essence of any connection. That was the definition. And I sat back and I'm like, wait a second. People, places, objects, things. I'm like, I have a relationship with my past. I have a relationship with my clothes, my car. I have a relationship with my teacher, my school, my school work. Mm -hmm. I have a relationship with, and my mind just saw all these divers. I saw like the matrix open up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a lot of unfinished business and relationships relationships that I avoid, relationships that I put work into, math, that relationship was the worst one of all. <laughs> Anything math related, I avoided that relationship, right? They're, like you said in our prior podcast, relationships people are fit, you didn't have a good relationship with, you don't have a good relationship yeah. with your body being fit, so you're like, like yeah. get out the garlic and the cross for anyone that's fit, right? <laughs> right? I'm like sitting there going, oh my gosh, our life's all about relationships. But then more specifically, human relationships, Those are pretty complex because one day we think we have a good relationship. Things happen. People change. And then we go, why are they not meeting my expectations? Well, if we're not careful and if we don't readjust our expectations of people based upon where they're at, we can be beating our head up against a wall wondering, why are things not like the way I thought they should be or the way they used to be? (laughs) We can have resentment, and anger. And from parents like us, that were raised in a world where there was not even call waiting, <laughs> let alone messaging and iPhones and these alien devices that tell us what we really wanna buy. And, like, how did you know? I looked up that one time and now your <laughs> analytics tell me to buy more stuff like it. You guys are good. Yeah. There's some smart aliens out there running this <laughs> ship, right? Well, we're just in the middle. Of relationships all around us, relationship with our phones. That's a really important one nowadays. Right. So what I told Coring in back to that is I said, life's all about relationships. The quality of the relationships in your life are always gonna determine determine the quality of your life at that particular time.
1: So that's an, those of you who are listening, that's an important little nugget. The quality of your relationships will always reflect the quality of your life. Is that what you said?
0: At that particular time. At,
1: at that moment, right.
0: Yeah, everybody knows money doesn't buy you happiness, but it buys you a lot of good stories and, you know, a lot of <laughs> fun things to wear and stuff. Cute shoes. Right? Cute shoes. But think about it. Like, we've all gone through hard times. And at those times, yeah, money was helpful. But who gave us the money? It was a relationship, it was someone that could relate to our pain. A GoFundMe account. You get. GoFundMe, people giving you money, not because they always know you, but because they relate to you. They have a connection. So you have a relationship with anyone that's lost their child to suicide, whether you met them or not. Okay. You have a relationship with them. And when you first start talking, it's pretty clear it's a powerful relationship. It's a strong connection. Yeah. So I, I told Corey about this and I said, hey man, I go, so I'm guessing Regardless of what got you this place, head trauma, all these struggles that you're dealing with, regardless of what got you here, what's going to sustain you and get you through this time is you're going to have to build, maintain, and improve certain relationships in your life, starting with the most important one. And he was like, oh, my mom? Like, no. He's like, my dad? I'm like, no. I kind of went through a list. He's like, I don't want a relationship with my brother, so don't ask me to do that one. I'm, like, I'm not asking you to do anything. And what it came down to is he figured out The most important relationship to start off with first, like square number one, the foundation, is a relationship with self. You don't have to be a psychologist or a therapist to know that it's really hard to have a relationship with another human being that's better than the relationship with yourself. You bring your relationship with you to every other relationship. If you're worried and you're ashamed that people aren't going to think that you're smart and successful and don't make a lot of money, then right when you meet someone, you're going to tell them, all the people you know that are famous and rich and how much money you made. And if you can't find your glasses, you're going to say, where's my $500 pair of sunglasses? This is a friend of mine I'm thinking of. And you're going to be like, that's really odd that he couldn't just say he lost his sunglasses. Why do you have to say his $500 pair of sunglasses? Because that person really wanting you to know that they bring a lot to the table, right? We've all done it in small little ways to impress people. We all want relationships. We want people to like us and connect with us. But there's something that connects us and bonds us way more than us liking the same band or us having similar interests. And I told your son the same thing I told everybody else. If you really want a relationship with yourself and then with other people that's going to help you have better life experiences, because let's face it, if you have a better relationship with your rugby coach, you're probably going to be better at rugby. Dance coach, same thing. No matter teacher, same thing. I said, that thing is, you're going to have to be vulnerable and talk about things that are rough and tough and hard and things that you've buried away that you swore you're going to take to the grave, things that you just didn't ever believe you could even admit, whether it be guilt, shame, faults, whatever it is, right? And, you know, pretty quickly he started to share with me how much he compared himself to his older brother. And now he pictured his older brother as the, the pinnacle of success in rugby and he wasn't as good as brother at rugby, so he's like, I'd rather just skate. I used to like playing rugby until I realized that I wasn't as good as him at rugby. Then rugby was only a reminder of me not being good. Period. And he found refuge with the skaters and the stoners. Because they all had a very similar shame. Well, at least the ones he hung out with. Not, I don't know, not all skaters or stoners. I'm just saying, like, this, this was his interpretation there were people that weren't gonna to try to make him feel bad because they all had older brothers that they didn't feel like they measured up to as well. They were all dealing with something. There's something there, and I I told them I could relate. When I played football in college, I quickly was there making friends with all the popular football guys. And after one injury, and everybody moves on without you, I realized that I relate more to people that are misfits like me. That I feel like I'm on the outside. And I started to hang out with, you know. The ruffians, you know, the people who are on the outskirts. So, after I talked to him about life is all about relationships, the quality of the relationships, in our life will usually be determined by the quality, or our quality of our life will usually be determined by the quality of our relationships at that time. He's like, Yeah. And then we started talking about relationship with yourself. And he started understanding really quick. He's like, Yeah, I, I, you're right. I haven't liked myself a lot lately. And when I compare myself to my brother, it's just validation that I'm not good. I compare myself to other people. I'm not that now. Me, I'm looking at a smart, intelligent young man, and I know there's no way other people see him that way. I know this was his interpretation. This is his vantage point, right? But it was his. And so, real quickly, when we start talking about the kryptonite depression, his connection, I told him, when he said he doesn't want to talk to people, when he doesn't want to, he wants to push people away. I said, Yeah, I get it. And that fuels the problem. When your friend calls you up and you don't want to go to the skate park, but it's that one friend that just doesn't take no for an answer. Come on, we're going anyways. You go, what happens? He's like, we laugh, we have a good time and I'm glad I went. Exactly. Connection propels us to have better experiences. Everyone wants to take a selfie on social media, but it's a whole lot cooler if you're taking a selfie with your friend or not like a selfie, but like a picture, right? If you're taking it with your friend while you're doing something cool, Right, having a connection with someone, and when he saw that vulnerability was not a bad thing, as a good thing, and he needed to do more of it, he bought into it. But admittedly, he said it wasn't easy for him.
1: Well, and I don't. I think that this is a this is a major struggle. Not like with for everybody. Like I I think that um, especially when we talk about the kids um, and you know, here I am, I'm the mom and so I can talk about the teenagers and their flaws and so then I have to like talk about my own issues, you know, social issues or, you know, maybe anxiety that I have about what other people think or interaction, um, but I, I see it in kids, you know, they're, they're with all their friends, but they're still sitting on the phone, they're they're like hanging out having they're hanging out. You, you see a big group of kids at McDonald's, and every single one of them is is on their phone. And what's what's happening is that you're you're sort of inhibiting a real connection to take place. Um, we have tons of opportunities for connections, people in our class or you know whatever. It's interesting. Well, I'll talk to my kids and and they'll. I'll be like, oh, do you know so-and-so? Or, oh, no, this is what will happen. You'll be at the grocery store, and they're like, oh, my gosh, there's that, you know, that kid that, oh, really, do you know? Well, I sit next to him in history. Don't, no, I'm not going to say anything. No, no. You you know, and, and then it's totally fine to tweet at them or respond, you know, comment on a photo. But if you see them at the grocery store, you do not acknowledge Presence, you, you know, like it, that is so embarrassing or whatever. Um, and I I think that I think about when I was a kid and I had to go to my friend's house if I wanted to hang out. I had to leave my bedroom. I had to put on clothes. I had to go somewhere, make an effort. My mom had to drive me or whatever.
0: There's a lot of hoops you had to go through to
1: Yeah, but man, was I going to, I was going to sit home alone, you know, now. I notice my kid sitting home alone, in a room alone, but talking to a whole bunch of different people on her device, might be Twitter, might be DM my Snapchat, whatever, but all people that she doesn't have a real life connection with. Now, do like those type of connections Where you're afraid to see them in real life, or you really only know what they look like from the selfie angle in their bathroom that they take and post. Or you only know what somebody said about them or what their profile says about them. That's not a real connection. But I don't know if they really know that.
0: Well, I mean... People that aren't raised with something can't be expected to know what it's like to go without it. Right. And so
1: when we're sitting there saying to our kids, I'm like, go to their house. You got it. No, I don't need to go to I don't need to go to anyone's house to hang out.
0: Yeah. So what I mean by that is a lot of times parents are saying like, you know, when I was younger, I had to get up and do these things and this and that. And it's hard for them to say, "Okay, you're right. That makes sense with something that they didn't have to live like that. Like I don't have a lot of like, oh my gosh, I'm so lucky that I can just turn on my faucet and have water come out. Except for one random thought this morning, I turned on the faucet to fill up the dog bowl for my dogs. I'm like, how cool is that? We just turn a faucet, water comes out. This is such a new thing in the world. In the history of this world, that's pretty dang new. right But we don't really think about that. Teenagers don't really think about that. It's like, Oh, you had to like call someone, and then there was no call waiting, and then you had to call back until they got off the phone. And <laughs> a there busy six signal. Kids, what is that? A busy signal. Like it just. So how are they supposed to like appreciate what they have? Mm-hmm. So or even know what yeah, they so, so, what they're missing. Yeah, exactly. So when you're talking about, you know, them not knowing like uh, that this is not a real relationship. At least this is what we're talking about before the podcast. You're right. They they don't know that this is not the full spectrum of a relationship. This is a fragmented piece of a relationship, but it is a relationship, just an evolved version of it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's benefits from having a relationship. Now there's no such thing as a pen pal. It's a friend on Facebook or a friend on Twitter or Snapchat, right? They could be from around the world. So there's a lot of benefits from that, but the lack that I'm seeing and that you're talking about that or what they're lacking is they're not getting better at practicing being uncomfortable in social face-to-face situations when they're practicing more connecting through social media. Mm -hmm. They just have limited reps. They don't have enough repetition. Mm -hmm. I was listening to a podcast just the other day and this comedian was saying, uh, he's like, it's so weird. It's like, I went to the restaurant with my wife the other night. I went to the bathroom and there's a line in the bathroom. He's like, it took a lot longer than I thought, but I left my phone at the table and I sat there and I was like, I would have anything to look at. I just sat there and just had to stare at other people, look around, He's like, is this what life was like before? He's like, how did we live just being <laughs> bored all the time? <laughs> well, then he says like, you had to strike up a conversation with the other person waiting in line. Like you had to break the ice. You had to develop skills to be more social, but now we can be social without being social. So it's really a very interesting time. Now, going back to the whole entire connection thing, The reason why it's a physiological fact that connection is the kryptonite to depression is because lacking certain neurochemicals makes it difficult for us to be around other people. Mood stabilizers, serotonin, oxytocin, all these things make us feel comfortable. They make us feel good. They put us in a better mood and we get that when we're talking and having a conversation with someone hugging someone interacting with someone when you go to the grocery store and you always go to the same teller or the bank, the same teller, the same you know cash register cashier it's because you have a connection relationship with them when you're there like what's up Susie hey what's up Tom like you just feel that that is a safe environment. Your grocery store, your cashier, your bank, your teller, It is a shared experience that you feel, I own this, this is mine, and I feel comfortable here. But with teenagers and young people, even adults alike, we have so many of these experiences through one simple device that the symbiotic relationship with our phone, the reason why it's so attached to us, it's because we've put all of our relationships into one square. It's one store, one stop.
1: I mean, it is crazy because I lose everything but I don't lose my phone.
0: And you would lose your mind if you lost your phone.
1: Right. It's true. It's
0: so true. if it's all in one place, that's a great advantage. That's a good thing. But the problem with that is that we're not used to just letting time be. Without our phone, every time I talk to a teenager, and here in Utah, I think we talked about it before once, Lake Powell is a common summer destination. Lake Powell? Not good on reception. No service. Every teenager of every council went to Lake Powell, came back. They all say in this like very hipster way, like, oh my gosh, it was so cool without having your phone. It's like we had so much fun and like we're just jumping off the boat and this, that it's like I didn't even the first day like you felt some weirdness because you're like, like does not compute, you can't use your phone. But then after a while, I forgot about it. I actually enjoyed it. Like I need to go without my phone more often. I really? kids
1: are telling you that? I last a
0: week. By the next time I see them, they go, I said that? <laughs> they can't remember they told me that. Point is, this relationship with our phone has been a substitute for so many slow, progressive building relationships so that when we have to build intimate, close relationships, we have very little patience with it. It just takes too long. Our brain's like, come on, come on, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And if we can't get it quick, we're swiping right on someone else. That's a little
1: point at our producer here that's a
0: young single man. Okay. He's he's having some dating, not issues, experiences. There okay. You go. Casualties. Yeah, casualties, right? <laughs> so getting back to the whole entire connection thing, we're just in a very interesting time space continuum. We're going from relationships used to only be face to face. Then they became over the phone and face-to-face. Now they're over the phone, face-to-face, digital, Skype, FaceTime, Google Hangouts. There's all these different ways, forums on, on online. There's all these different ways to have relationships, but our, be, our bread and butter, what we have to stay anchored to is we have to make sure that we're putting in time and effort, getting the reps into face-to-face interpersonal relationships. So if we're without our phone, if we're in a difficult position, if we're depressed or struggling, we have the capability to speak about those struggles. Or if someone else we know is struggling, we have the capability to speak to them to offer aid and support in their struggles. And it takes a brave person to do that. But in order to be brave, you have to be scared, and then you have to do it anyways, and you have to do that a bunch of times. And so our, our children, our teenagers, are really at a disadvantage because it's easier for them put it this way. If I was a teenager and I had a choice, do I text a girl that I'm scared to death that she's going to reject me, but I really like her a lot and ask her to go out with me or I go out and to ask her face to face? Oh, I'm, I'm doing the texting every single time. <laughs> right. The reason why you said in, in a grocery store, it's it's fearful to see this person. Oh my gosh, that's the real person that I follow. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they're really here. I, I don't know what to and say I don't, to not I don't look good. Yeah, and I yeah. don't look good, right?
1: I don't look like the selfie that I doctored.
0: Exactly. <laughs> but the more we ch- we have chances to hang out in real life, face to face, if we use social media and social interactions to meet up and to be around other people, then what we're doing is we're taking what this vehicle is to connect with more people and we're using it just to connect deeper with people as opposed to substituting right. a real genuine connection. Right.
1: Key. Key right there is that it's not bad. It just has to be in addition. It can't be the only one. So I think that, you know, it's interesting when you talk to, when, when I would talk to other parents and you talk about your teenager that's struggling and you're kind of commiserating, you got these kids that are struggling and whatnot. And this is inevitably someone says this, well, you just gotta love them. And that's, that's kind of like Oh well, we have no idea what to say. We have no idea what to do. We're at a complete loss. Everything we try fails, and we're getting nowhere. So we just gotta love him. And you know that's hard for me, David, because um, I felt like I really loved my son. I I love my son. I loved my son. I told him I loved him. Um. And I thought we had a connection and, um, and we talked and we laughed and we joked. And, and Corey, I know, didn't want me to know how he felt. Um, probably thought I couldn't handle it. Probably wasn't wrong. Um, didn't want me to be hurt or scared or afraid. And so him being vulnerable with me was scary for him, I'm sure. And um, so I want to add to that. Yes, you got to love your kid and you got to love him no matter what and let him know that you love him no matter what. And I think that's all good. Um, But what's more important than loving them and telling them that you love them and buying them shoes is figuring out how to connect and make sure there's a connection. And, and, and there's a couple things that you said. You said, number one, it makes me feel comfortable. Number two is consistent, you mentioned. Um, but I want, I want to say, as you, as you watch your kids struggling, it's not a bad idea to sort of let them know how important connection is and encouraging them to talk to friends in real life, to ask them, you know, who they feel comfortable with. And
0: don't try to be the one stop for all the answers for your kids. N- no, you want to encourage them to find other resources.
1: Right. And, and I think that, so I had this experience that we sat down and I had this long, deep conversation with my, my daughter who um, feels like she doesn't have any friends. She, She's got tons and tons of friends on social media and knows everybody, but it feels like she doesn't have a friend.
0: Very typical for teenagers to have lots of friends to not feel like they can trust the depth of those friendships. Like, how close are they really?
1: And so I brought this up. I brought up that connection is different. And and we talked about what the difference is between just a regular friendship and a connection. And we also talked about how like putting down your phone allows you to make a conversation and and actually talking about something that matters um it was interesting because a couple weekends ago um so it's prom season right now when while we're recording and one of the friends got invited by kids she didn't know very well and so it was like all the wingmen kind of had to come together so that these two could could comfortably be around each other and get to know each other a little bit more before prom and so they were going so roller skating and um, so it's not cool to go there too early and so they were hanging out at this kid's house that she'd never met before and um, and this kid didn't want to go skating he was kind of in, like he, he didn't want to engage and so he he's trying to kind of get rid of I, I don't know didn't want to go roller skating. he probably isn't a good roller skater but he said uh, if you can beat me to a typing test I'll go And uh, so they're sitting on the computer and all these kids are racing each other in a typing test. And they're laughing and they're goofing off and they're trying to distract each other. And what happened was nobody beat this kid at the typing test. He obviously knew he had strength. But Quincy said, I have never laughed so hard. I made new friends. We talked about this and then he came roller skating even though none of us beat him. And he was a terrible roller skater. But in the terrible roller skating, the good type skills, the seeing somebody in their environment, around their siblings, you know something about them that you will never know on social media. And, and you know, she comes home and she goes, you know what, Mom? I think you might be right about that whole, like, being around people in real life. <laughs> you know, and I was like, Maybe. I mean, it's just a theory. It's Dave's theory. <laughs> um, but I think that we sort of have to teach this concept.
0: Well, everybody wants to be liked, spe- specifically the teenagers. I mean, it's, everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to be accepted. So to be liked and accept, accepted, you have to have something interesting, entertaining, something cool about you, right? Well, I don't know if you've ever heard this saying before, and, and I like how it, it, it plays with what we're talking about, if you think that you're bored, because I hear from teenagers all the time. It's like, why'd you do this? Oh, I was just bored. I'm just on my phone all the time. I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. Are you bored or are you boring?
1: Ooh. Because yes. the reality of it <laughs> is
0: nobody wants to be boring. So if you're like, oh, I'm bored. So I had to do this. we well, be really careful because if you become a person that gets lost in the digital sauce, And you're always on your phone and you're not engaging and putting it down and talking to someone, you could become very uninteresting and very boring and maybe you're super entertaining in an emoji world or you figured out how to like, you know, say things on Twitter just right. But face to face, if you have not practiced the interaction, those, those random social experiments that you had to do to learn how to break the ice in a group of people, then you could be very boring and that's not going to be really attractive. And it's not a diss on anyone, it's just something we got to ask ourselves. Are you really just bored or are you becoming boring? I don't want to be boring. No teenager ever talks to wants to be boring, they want to be likable. Well, well, sometimes in order to be likable, you got to you got to take a couple shots, you got to swing at a couple pitches.
1: Right. Well, you figure out we, what
0: works and what doesn't work.
1: And if we talk about going first moms and dads, that means that we have to put down our phones. It means that we have to invite another family to come over to hang out with us. It means we've got to meet up with a family down at the bowling alley and put down our phones and talk. So, I mean, I know we talk a lot about modeling behavior, Mm. but our kids really do learn from us whether they like us or not or whether they think we're cool or not or whether they, you know, are struggling or not.
0: My three-year-old's in competition with my phone.
1: Mm. You got to delete your games. That's what...
0: No, no, no. Oh, oh, oh. He (laughs) wants my attention and he's fighting with my phone to get it. And I have to be so conscious. I will look at my phone check things. If I see him turn towards me, I I act (laughs) like I'm not on my phone put it away. Simply because I see he's aware that I'm always staring at this thing. What am I modeling for him? I'm modeling for him, not just that this thing might be more important than him, but here's another thing I'm actually being an example for to him. When he becomes older, he's going to remember me staring at my phone all the time. I need to somehow, not just like I was saying, like I'm hiding it, but to make sure that I have boundaries with it. Because the last thing I want to do is sit here and tell him, hey, you got to get off your phone. He goes, oh, really, dad? I do? (laughs) Me and the one that's surgically planted, you know, in your hand? I won't have a leg to stand on. Then I'll have to like take his phone from him because he triggered my shame because I already (laughs) thought I was going to be a bad dad and I'm supposed to be a great dad because I do this for a living. Right? Like it just, it's going to have a really bad effect. So we're in battle with the same things our kids are at battle with maybe not at the same level, but we all want acceptance. We don't want to be boring. A lot of us may be battling whether we're on our phones too much. The whole face-to-face connection, right? It's like, it's not like we don't struggle with that. Even as adults, like, well, I tried to hang out with this one lady and she didn't have time. So fine, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we get our feelings hurt too. So we have to model it and we have to talk about it, man. You know, I'm really happy today. Why? It's like, because I actually got off Facebook for a couple minutes today. Had a mom say this in a counseling session in front of her daughter. And mom was like, her daughter's like, right on, mom. <laughs> so no more, you know, what was that? A gardening game that was on for a long time. It's, it's still doing Facebook. There was like some gardening games. Like, mom, so you stopped gardening digitally on Facebook. and You're doing real life. Shut up. But they just got to a point where the mom's like, hey, if I want her to do that, I got to put some skin in the game. Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that the most important thing that I wanted and we've kind of we've chatted about a lot of things here but I wanted to plant into every one of your minds that we don't passively just have relationships. We don't passively have solid connections. It takes effort and it like nothing will replace it and I think that we have to acknowledge that the kids, right now, um, that's a very important part of their life. But let's make sure that they know, maybe how to prioritize it. Help them understand the difference. Ask some questions that don't trigger, that doesn't trigger a shame. <laughs> I mean, you know, encourage them to meet real people, to talk to real people, yeah, well, to and, invite
0: people over. And if if they are having deep conversations with friends, social media, encourage them to meet up with a friend. No, me encourage it to tell them, come over, hang out, you know, like that's why I said said social media, if used properly, can be a great tool to increase and add your connections or start a connection that then you can, you know, take to the next level face to face.
1: So, um, it's important conversation and definitely, um, you'll, you'll notice at whatever level of depression you feel it. It feels great to to have real friendships.
0: Well, let's even imagine you don't have depression. Let's just say you're going through some hard times, or let's say you're so busy that you forget to take time for yourself and you don't laugh as much as you used to, you're getting too serious in life. You're, you're too obsessed with your work or you're too obsessed and proving people wrong. You need time to connect with other people. You're too out.
1: busy exercising. I mean, I don't want to get into that.
0: Yeah, you don't, I don't, want, want, yeah,
1: you don't of want to fall into that rut. Yeah, you don't want to. Just exercising up. all the time? Yeah, that's why you're no. going to take a
0: class and exercise with a group of people <laughs> you go hang out with afterwards. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we'll wrap it up there for today. Thanks for uh, joining the Light the Fight podcast. And um, thanks to you, Heidi, for, uh, again, being our field correspondent, going out there and bringing some uh, things to our attention so we can just talk about.
1: That's right. And we'll see you guys next time. Or here, we'll see you again.
0: We don't really yeah. see these people. It's weird. Not yet. Maybe we'll do some live stuff.
1: Well, um, we, need the, we need the connection.
0: You know what? Face we're going to step face. up our connection game. After we get another of these episodes going, we're going to do some more interactive, maybe some Facebook Live, Instagram Live, stuff like that. We're going to experiment with that. And after a few more episodes, we'll be answering some questions. We'll let you know when we're ready to field the questions. But until then, like Heidi said, take care. Thanks for joining us.